Welcome back to the Red Dice Diaries. I'm John, your host, and today we're going to be looking at some of your lovely voicemail messages. So first up, we have some voicemails about our recent episode on the Mego from the Cthulhu Mythos. Hey, John, Jason here. So the Mego, let's talk about this. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's better if they're not statted out and they're just things the players try to affect and they can't. But, you know, that was a, a failing of the early games. And they were learning still, right? So when you look like deities and demigods for AD&D First Edition, they have stats for all the, the creatures. And in fact, in the first printing, they had stats for Cthulhu and they had stats for the Mego, which later got taken out. I will call you back and read you those stats even though I agree with you, they shouldn't be statted in case people are curious what the official TSR stats are for Mego, I'll read them to you. But let's talk a little bit about, you know, why modern technology doesn't help against these things. I used to have, I, I don't think, I don't have it anymore, but I used to have a supplement for Call of Cthulhu. I forget which edition. This would be late 80s, I think late 80s, maybe early 90s, but I think it was late 80s, called Cthulhu Now, and it brought Call of Cthulhu up to the current day, which was the late 80s. Yeah, I do actually vaguely remember seeing a mention of that supplement, Jason, although I wasn't really into Call of Cthulhu at the time, so I don't think I ever actually had a copy of it. And there, in the foreword, it said, you know, we've got, now we have night vision and automatic weapons and magnum revolvers and nuclear weapons and all this stuff, and you know, does all this make the players more affordable against the Mythos stuff? No, because when you drop a nuke on Cthulhu, he just reforms five minutes later, and now he's radioactive. So, yeah, I, I don't think the modern technology really lessens any of this. If anything, it makes it worse, because now they can get into the Internet and into the cloud and all that, right? So there are more ways for them to come after you. Yeah, I think you make a very good point there, Jason. I mean, the whole idea of the Cthulhu mythos is that there are creatures and entities so far beyond us that we can't even hope to understand them, even with the science and technology we have available in any era. So, yeah, so in a way, it makes it even worse in modern day because we feel like we've come so far as a species, but you say with our guns and our technology and stuff like that. But compared to these entities of the mythos, we're still just tiny grains of sand on a beach that can be swept aside by the onrushing wave of madness that the old ones bring with them. And there's that famous quote from the Call of Cthulhu where it says, The most merciful thing in the world, I think, is the inability of the human mind to correlate all of its contents. We live on a placid island of ignorance in the midst of the black seas of infinity, and it was not meant that we should voyage far. The sciences, each straining in their own directions, have hitherto harmed us a little. But some day, the piecing together of disassociated knowledge will open up such terrifying vistas of reality and of our frightful position therein that we shall either go mad from the revelation or flee from the deadly light into the peace and safety of a new dark age. Okay, John, here's that entry from the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons first edition Deities and Demigods first print for the Mygo. The Fungi from Yugoth. Frequency, very rare. Number appearing, 2 to 12. Armor class, 4. Move, 15 inches on the ground, 30 inches in flying. 
Hit dice, hit points, five hit dice. Percent in layer, 40%. Treasure type, nil. Number of attacks, two. Damage per attack, 1d8 for each attack, so two 1d8 attacks. Special attacks, nil. Special resistance, immune to cold, dark, and vacuum. Magic resistance, standard. Intelligence, low, which is interesting. Yeah, that's definitely a bit weird considering how they're portrayed in the fiction, but Carry on, Jason. Alignment, chaotic evil, size, large, six feet long, eight feet tall. Sonic ability of 90. Attack and defense mode C, D, F, G, and H. The less we say about first edition psionics, probably the better. <laughs> You're not wrong there, mate. And then level XP value. They're classified level four, 240 points plus five per hit point. These red batwing creatures somewhat resemble lobsters in that they have many legs, feelers, and eye stalks, and forearms end in great pincers. Although they appear to be crustaceans, they are actually fungus creatures. Mygo are immune to the effects of cold, dark, and vacuum and can fly across interstellar space. They cannot speak but communicate by clicking their pincers. So that's what we have in AD&D 1st Edition for stats for the Mygo. The low intelligence thing is kind of odd when, when you think about where they can pull your brain out and plop it in a jar and do other scientific things. So I, I wonder what the thought process was there. But anyhow, I just thought I'd share that with you, and I look forward to your next show. Keep up the great work. Thanks very much, Jason. Always appreciate your call-ins. Yeah, the whole sort of damping down of their intelligence in deities and demigods is a bit weird, given, like I said earlier, how they're portrayed in the fiction. But it very much seems to me, and this is just my feeling, obviously I don't know what was going on at the time it was created, but it seems to me as though someone was like, all right, we've got the look of this creature, and this is sort of roughly how it operates, but how can we sort of like squeeze that down and get it into a more palatable form for being a normal sort of D&D monster? And whereas this weird science advanced race that can extract people's brains and put them in jars and keep them going artificially probably didn't really fit in in the traditional sort of D&D vibe they were going for. So maybe they were just like, oh, let's just tamp them down into like a cool sort of fungus like crab monster. I don't know. But either way, like you say, it's an interesting thing to speculate about. And next up, we have some calls about our recent Thief Skills episodes. Hey, John. This is Taylor from Cleric's Wear Ringmail. Thinking about non-thief characters doing thief stuff. For those percentile skills, why not roll percentile with uh, an ability score? Say dex, because that's the thief's prime requisite. For most characters, this will give them between an 8 and 12% chance to do a thief thing, placing them below the first level thief and... If you wanted to give the thief a little bit of a buff, claim that the thief skill table is an adjustment. So the thief, on top of their base chance of 10% or whatever it is, would then get their prime requisite dex on top, increasing their chances to a mm, still low but more respectable rate at lower levels. Food for thought. Thanks very much, Taylor. Very much appreciate the call. Yeah, I quite like that idea, to be honest, you know, of using the thief skills table as a modifier to checks that anyone could do thus giving them a bit of an advantage in their arena of influence so to speak that's definitely something i may think about introducing in a future game i think that's a great suggestion thanks again taylor 
And now we've got Jason from Nerds RPG Variety Cast back at the mic to tell us what he thinks about Thieves skills. Go ahead, Jason. Hey, John. Interesting episode about Thieves. As you know, I'm not a huge fan of the that class and the way the niche protection works for it either. The the idea that, you know, somebody else can't try to listen to a door. Although, to be fair, you, you know, most games give a chance to listen to a door. I know AD&D does. But, or to even look for traps, some games specifically lock it down where only a thief can find a trap, and that's silly. Yeah, I think you're dead on there, Jason. I mean, I think, don't get me wrong, games have tried to sort of tweak that or frame it in a different light over the years. For instance, Old School Essentials, which is my uh, game of choice at the minute, it recasts the climbing skill as, like, scale sheer surfaces, so anyone can climb, like, try and climb a normal surface but it's only rogues who can scale like shear surfaces without uh, handholds and footholds and stuff like that and they've recast the whole detect traps as detect treasure traps so whilst anyone can look for like a larger trap in a room the game makes a distinction between that and these small intricate often mechanical traps that are sort of hidden in treasure chests and stuff like that and that's where the thief really excels and i think that's one approach to it and i quite like it like all things i don't think it's perfect but i think it was a wise choice to try and make that distinction and tweak it a little bit but as i said in the episode other games have tried to recontextualize it or solve the the issue of thieves in numerous different ways what i find most interesting is that the tiefling and the dragonborn are coming to advanced osc and i'm curious to see how that rocks that world i think it's a smart idea I think it'll expand that player base potentially because you have people that love the, playing those things, um, even Pathfinder players because those are, well, at least a tiefling something in Pathfinder. But I, I wonder if that'll alienate some of the existing players. It's a valid point. I mean, I think to, to, a, to a very, very minor extent, we've started to see that a little bit with OSC at the minute where quite often you'll get people sort of saying, like, oh, well, do I need to have the advanced fantasy options to run the game and a lot of people are very strictly sort of no just use the basic game where which is fine you know if you want to do that that's that's what the basic fantasy game is for whereas the advanced fantasy game you don't have to use any of it if you don't want to it's entirely optional it's just there for people who want some extra options and extra ideas that they can bring into their game that they don't have to sort of fiddle with the stats to do it's already done for them so I think we will see more sort of people factionalizing and sort of moving into their own preferences, but I think that's inevitable with any sort of game as soon as it starts to expand beyond its initial sort of base. Once you put it in the book and once you use something out of the book, you have some players that want to use everything out of the book. So it'll be interesting to see what happens and if this actually start, starts a subtle shift for OSE. I don't think it will, to be honest. I don't think it's a big deal, to be honest. And I think adding things that people want is as options is smart. And I think every game should be able to, you know, every table should be able to pick which options they use. And it should be something discussed at the table. So I, I honestly don't think it's a big controversy, but I'm sure it'll be made into a big controversy when that's published. Yeah, I think almost definitely it will at some point, Jason, because as we know, fans of sort of niche hobbies are so passionate about that arena of interest that as soon as something changes it or it evolves, there's always going to be people who just sort of react instinctively and are like, no, no, I like things the way they were and that's fine. And there's nothing wrong with that, but 
I think inevitably with a game like Old School Essentials, and in fact any game, any RPG, once you've released everything for the the basic game, you have a couple of options. You either stop making stuff, in which case you're probably not going to make an awful lot more money. You release a new edition, which, let's face it, is what what's in people like that are doing at the minute because they know they make more money off of the core books. Or you try and make optional material that people can use if and when they want to. And I'm pleased to see that's the route that Old School Essentials seems to be going down at the moment. And next up, we have Randy from Biggest Geekers. Take it away, Randy. Just listen to your Thieves podcast. Dude, you and I are kind of on the same page with Thieves. I don't uh, ever like playing them, though I have recently started a campaign of Earth Dawn. My friend Patrick is running it, and I'm playing a human thief. Uh, though I learned on a different uh, podcast that thieves are a little different in that setting, so maybe I'll enjoy it. But I was more inspired by your idea of how skills are done, and I don't, can't recall which game you're talking about, but as Joe and I work on Mud Sword at Biggest Geekus, I think uh, I like that idea, each class having its own specialized set of skills, which could even take the place of certain powers and abilities, um, and they could be very much like the old school thief. But anyway, keep up the good work. Enjoying the podcast. Take care, bro. Thanks very much, dude. Much appreciated. Yeah, the, the sort of skills taking the place of like the sort of rogue talents were it was uh, some optional classes for old school essentials that had been put out in the carcass crawler zine where there was a, a mage class where instead of having spells, they had certain magical abilities they could do so many times a day, and they were based on a percentage chance. And I thought that was really interesting because part of my beef with the sort of like the old school thief skills is that, well, because thieves can climb walls with like a low percentage chance at low levels, does that mean other people shouldn't be trying that? Whereas if it's a mage conjuring light or magically locking a door, well, normal people can't do that. So it just made a bit more sense to me. Anyway, I'm glad you enjoyed the episode, dude. Thank you very much for the calling. And to round off this episode, we have Rob C from Down in a Heap, also talking about thieves. Take it away, Rob. Hey, John and Hannah. It's Rob from Down in a Heap. Just wanted to drop you a line to say how much I've enjoyed the latest flurry of episodes. Well, and your whole back catalog. It's great stuff. Thanks very much, Rob. That's very kind of you. We're glad you're enjoying the new episodes. Unfortunately, personal circumstances have made our schedules even more chaotic and complicated at the moment. So again, it's become doubly difficult for us both to get on the mic at the same time. I'm plugging away at the episode solo at the minute, but I hope when things settle down, you know, we can both get back to recording the episodes with us both on it again. John, uh, with your latest episode or one of your recent episodes about thieves, I can see where you're coming from. It does feel like a lot of that stuff you know, has kind of a tacked on feeling to it, but I've always enjoyed the thief and playing it. Yeah, that's absolutely grand. Now, don't get me wrong, I've never had a problem with people playing Thieves. My friend um, Dave is playing uh, a Thief in our Smoke and Snow game at the minute, and I've never had any problems when people have said, I want to play a Thief when I'm running D&D. I think as a class, they just don't appeal to me when I'm picking a character to play. But, like I said, I have no problem with other people playing them. You know, different strokes for different folks. And I think the there's definitely a role for that type of character in most fantasy adventure games. I like having uh, a character that can do a lot of different things, and there's kind of a tactical element to the thief, I think. And they, unlike a lot of classes, at least the fighter, they kind of improve in a lot of ways. 
every level. How to handle them as far as allowing other characters to do thiefy type things. I kind of think of the thief abilities as proprietary, so I generally don't let other characters attempt to do those types of things. They can climb, they could climb a tree, they could climb a, a cliff face that has handholds and roots and stuff like that, but something that's an actual sheer surface, no, that's the thief's purview. Other characters can try and hide in like a shrub or something, um, or even sneak up on someone, and I'd use the surprise rules for that. But only the thief can kind of just disappear into the shadows, ninja-like. So I usually give the thief not only their thief chances, but if someone has a chance to surprise or find a room trap like an OSE or BX, the thief gets both of those, so the, they're at least better than the other characters. Yeah, I think that's definitely a good possible way of handling that. And I've heard people before say that in their games, everyone gets a basic chance of doing something, and then the thief gets an additional chance beyond that equal to their thief percentage skills. So effectively, they get to double dip when it comes to the, the role of doing something that falls within the thiefly purview. And I definitely think that can work within a game. For me, I'm always trying to sort of like minimize the amount of dice rolled. That's just a personal sort of thing of mine. But I suppose there's no reason why you can't just both roll both of them at the same time and if either of them comes up as a success congratulations thief you have succeeded at whatever the task was i think that's definitely a potential way of handling it i apologize if i'm overstaying my welcome one last thing not at all dude thank you very much for the call in it's greatly appreciated please go ahead if you do feel like the thief chances are are too low in something like bx ose here's what i'm doing in my new campaign if you have a if a thief has a dexterity of 13 or higher, all their thief abilities uh, go up basically a level across the board, aside from hear noise, which isn't dex-based. And if they have a 16 or higher, they go up, they're treated as two levels higher. And then they choose one of their skills to be a specialist at. And that adds another two levels. And it can all stack. So if you have a 16 dexterity and it's a special ability, your first level thief is... That ability is like a fifth level thief. I also love all your little asides, John, and your voice changes and stuff. Um, anyway, that's me, brown bread. <laughs> Thanks very much, dude. I'm glad you're enjoying the podcast. And thank you for those great suggestions. I think one of the things we've come away with from this thief episode and all the related voicemail calls we've had is that there are a multitude of different ways that people are handling thieves in their game and it certainly seems to be one of those classes that has received a good deal of attention over the years i know i've read numerous different articles about how to fix the thief and you know you could do this you could do that and obviously many there seem to be as many different ways of handling thieves as there are games out there probably more and i think what i'm sort of taking away from this is it's less about other thieves being broken and stuff like that it's more about finding a a way to handle them in a game that is consistent makes sense for your campaign world and that also feels right for your particular game and i know that you could say that's the case for everything but it's really nice to sort of like hear that people are doing their own things and no one on here has been like oh no people shouldn't do this they should do that everyone's just been like well here's how i do thieves what do you think of this idea 
And it's one of the things I really enjoy about having all these different OSR games and retro clones and stuff like that is the multitude of different people with different views and different ideas all sort of putting into that melting pot so that hopefully we can get some gold out of it at the end. So it just remains for me to thank all my wonderful callers to this episode. We're going to be putting out another one in a couple of days because we've still got some voicemail episodes left, but we're already getting on a bit long in this. So if you've not heard your voicemail response in this episode, don't worry, it'll be on the way. But thank you to everyone who sent call-ins. If you'd like to call in yourself and be featured in a future episode, you can get in touch with us by leaving a voicemail, either using SpeakPipe or Anchor, there's a link in the description down below or you could send us an email to rdrpgpodcast at gmail.com until we see you again take care stay safe and whatever you're playing have fun 